and welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams of pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi. Congratulations, Lauren. Oh, thank you, Julia. <laughs> I mean, I was there and all. It was yeah. really beautiful. Oh, and... my God. We had so much fun. And then that guy did that thing. Oh, my God. I can't believe that when the police came. Oh, can I tell you? But then when all the police joined us. In, in that, that dance. In that Bollywood style cool. dance. It was pretty oh, cool. It was beautiful. So, man, watch out for the pictures, guys. Um, obviously, we were recording this all together. <laughs> <laughs> so I've not been married yet. But by the time it, it uh, yeah. airs. By the time you hear this, Lauren will will be legally bound forever and ever to her husband. Oof. I'll be officially a the doctor. wife. A wife. A wife. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, the reason why we're recording this all together is because I have just, I've instituted two, a two-part series. Yes. Uh, you know, that is, people have been crying out for. We need more things on se- secret society. Secret, <laughs> secret society. Yeah, after my first one aired, I was like, oh my God, oh, please fine. leave me alone. Uh, I can't even sleep. Um, so, uh, let's just jump right in. Yeah. This is uh, part due of Tiny Cars and the New World Order. Fraternal organizations and secret societies. Something's coming over me. My baby's got a secret. Secret societies. Secret, secret societies. societies. Okay, so this installment of this topic is, a little is gonna get dark on the on the continuum of dangerousness. On the continuum of dangerousness, <laughs> we're moving closer to dangerous. Ooh. So, um, of course, my first two are going to be college university okay secret societies so the first one is known as the seven society the seven yes the seven society was founded in 1905 and is the most secretive of the university of virginia's secret societies mm. now here's the thing i didn't you know, know about it now i didn't know about secret societies at university of virginia mm-hmm. i didn't know there was more than one i didn't know that there were more than like a dozen there's a ton of them actually <laughs> So, but the cool thing about the Seven Society is that members are only revealed after their death. When a wreath of black magnolias in the shape of a seven is placed at the gravesite, the bell tower of the university chapel chimes at seven second intervals on the seventh dissonant chord when it is seven past the hour, and a notice is published in the university's alumni news, and often in the Cavalier Daily. Love it. I know. The most visible tradition of the society is the painting of the logo of the society, which is the number seven, surrounded by the signs for Alpha, Omega, and Infinity, Mm -hmm. and sometimes several stars upon many buildings around the grounds of the university. Okay. So there's, because it's a secret society, there's no clear history of the founding of the society. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a legend that of eight men who planned to meet for a card game, only seven showed up, and they formed the society, which is like the most, (laughs) like, banal reason to start um, like it's like steve forgot to send his letter that he wasn't gonna make it yeah and then they, they were, were like, like oh well, man i guess we're starting a secret society now it's just the seven of us <laughs> um other histories claim that the misbehavior of other secret societies specifically the hot feet later the imp society led university president e- Edwin A. Alderman to call both the Hot Feet and the Z Society into his office and suggest that a more beneficial organization was needed. The hot cool. feet. They do they do sound dangerous. Yes. They um the hot feet and apparent the apparently both the hot feet and the Z Society were secret societies that were also literary debate clubs. Ooh. So again, very <laughs> exciting. 
a very troublemaker. Yeah, yeah, a lot of troublemakers. Um, the only known method to successfully contact the Seven Society is to place a letter at the Thomas Jefferson statue inside the <laughs> university's historic rotunda. I love this. I know. Accounts differ on the exact placement of the letter, either on the base or in the crook of the statue's arm. Um, the group contributes financially to the university, announcing donations with letters signed only with seven astronomical symbols in the order Earth, Jupiter, Mercury, Mars, Neptune, Uranus, and Venus. Uh, the society gives large monetary donations and scholarships to the university each year in quantities that include the number seven. Significant past gifts to the university include the Seven Society Carillion in the university chapel, donated in memory of deceased members of the society, and given with the request that there should be a toll of seven times seven bells in the passing of a member, a memorial to past Seven Society members who gave their lives in World War One. $17,777.77 for a loan fund in honor of University President John Lloyd Newcomb. The ceremonial mace carried in an academic procession. $10,777.77 in support of the reestablishment of homecoming. A plaque on the rotunda honoring university students who died in the Korean War. $7,077.77 to endow the Ernest Mead Fund for the Music Library. Ernest Mead was the notable member and professor of music and the chair of the music department at UVA. Okay. And, okay, $47,777.77, good God, for the making of a film on the honor system and a $1 million in support of the University's South Lawn Project. I guess they were like, all right, let's just get a million dollars. Most recently, the society gave a... Seven hundred and seventy-seven thousand seven hundred and seventy-seven dollar and seventy-seven cent grant to fund the Mead Endowment, founded in honor of Ernest Mead, which awards grants to professors to teach their dream classes. Buffalo, 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 yeah. Buffalo, Buffalo, Buffalo. Oh my God! Uh, seven hundred dream yeah, classes. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say when there's like so many sevens. Yeah. Um, in addition to granting spontaneous gifts, the Seven Society sponsors an annual $7,000 graduate fellowship award for superb teaching. Oh, how nice. nice. So that's the Seven Society. All right, here we go. It's not dangerous yet, is it? No, um, but we're getting into Skull and Bones oh, next. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, Skull and Bones was founded in 1832 after a dispute among Yale debating societies, Lenonia, Brothers in Unity, and the Colopian Society over that season's five Beta Kappa awards. How dare they? I know. William Huntington Russell and Alfonso Taft co-founded the Order of the Skull and Bones. The first senior members included Russell, Taft, and 12 other members. The first extended description of Skull and Bones, published in 1871 by Lyman Bagg in his book, Four Years at Yale, noted that the, quote, the mystery now attending its existence forms one great enigma, which college gossip never tires of discussing. Skull and Bones selects new members among students every spring as part of Yale University's Tap Day and has done so since 1879. Since the Society's inclusion of women in the early 1990s, which we'll get to in a minute, mm. Skull and Bones selects 15 men and women of the junior class to join the Society. Skull and Bones taps those that it views as campus leaders and other notable figures for its membership. The Society is known informally as Bones, and the members are known as Bonesmen. Uh, the Skull and Bones Hall is otherwise known as the Tomb because it looks like a tomb. Okay. Um, the Society also owns and manages Deer Island, which is an island retreat on the St. Lawrence River. Alexander Robbins, author of a book on Yale Secret Society, has wrote, The 40-acre retreat is intended to give Bonesmen an opportunity to get together and rekindle old friendships. 
Did you see this movie? Did you see the movie? I did not see the movie. <laughs> um, a century ago, the island sported tennis courts and its softball fields were surrounded by rhubarb plants and gooseberry bushes. Oh. Cat boats waited on the lake. Stewards catered elegant meals. But although each new Skull and Bones member still visits Deer Island, the place leaves something to be desired. Quote, now it's just a bunch of burned out stone buildings of patriarch size. It's basically ruins. Another Bonesman says that to call the island rustic would be to glorify it. <laughs> it's a dump, but it's beautiful. Skull and Bones membership developed a reputation in association with the power elite. Like other Yale senior societies, Skull and Bones membership was almost exclusively limited to white Protestant males for much of its history. While Yale itself has exclusionary policies directed at particular ethnic and religious groups, the senior societies were even more exclusionary. While some Catholics were able to join such groups, Jews were most often not. Uh, some of these excluded groups eventually entered Skull and Bones by means of sports, though the society's practice of tapping stand out. Uh, athletes star football players tap for skull and bones included the first jewish player his name was al hesberg he was the class of 1938 and african-american player his name was levi jackson who's class of 1950 and he actually turned them down uh to get to the berzalia society which is another secret society <laughs> um yale became co-educational in 1969 yet skull and bones remained fully male until 1992 the Bones class of 1971's attempt to tap women for membership was opposed by Bones alumni who dubbed them the Bad Club and quashed their attempt. I know. That's a huge eye roll. The issue, as it came to be called by Bonesmen, was debated for decades. <laughs> the class of 1991 tapped seven female members for membership in the next year's class, causing conflict with the Alumni Association. The trust changed the locks on the tomb, and the Bonesmen instead met in the Manuscript Society building. Ooh. A mail-in vote by members decided 368 to 320 to permit women in the society, but a group of alumni led by William F. Buckley obtained a temporary restraining order to block the move, arguing that a formal change in bylaws was needed. All of this over just a a senior college debate debate group. group. Yeah. Um, Other alumni, such as John Kerry and R. Inslee Clark Jr., spoke out in favor of admitting women. The dispute was highlighted on an editorial page of the New York Times. So it went all the way to the top. Um, a Great second, lady. Yeah. A second alumni vote in October 1991 agreed to accept the class of 1992 and the lawsuit was dropped. Jeez, oh man. So um, basically the only reason why they allowed women in was because it got out that there was a lot of infighting about this mm-hmm. and uh, that it got out to the New York Times. And what happened was one of the men who wanted to have women come in, even though Yale had been like co-educational for so long, leaked a bunch of letters to the New York Times and was like, hey, do you want to find out what's going on at Yale right now with Skull oh, and Bones? Yeah. And then it just, the um, public pressure made them cave. So. Okay. Um, I watched a lot of like teen and college movies. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, Skull and Bones. Mm-hmm. It, it holds up. So it's Paul Does Walker. It? Oh, Paul Joshua Walker. Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're all, I don't know if they call it Yale Oh, yeah. If they can, like, it's, legally call it yeah, Yale it's called, in like, the movie. Yeah, Ivy University yeah, or exactly. something. Yeah, mm-hmm. But it is, the movie's called Skull and Bones. And so, you know, it's, they have a tomb. They mm-hmm. have a rebirth ceremony. They get to go to this island with the alums. And then they have a duel. <gasps> it's, um. With swords or guns? Oh, guns. Like, oh, old-timey. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Old-timey. Guns. You know, blunderbusses. Oh, those weird. kind of things. Anyway. 
Good, good to it's know. A good, it's a good rainy Saturday <laughs> afternoon Netflix movie. Yeah, maybe I'll watch it and then wanna... I'll, um, I'll amend this, up, this episode. <laughs> okay. Among prominent alumni are former President and Chief Justice William Howard Taft, who was a founder's son, former presidents and father and son George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush, Supreme Court Justices Morrison R. Waite and Potter Stewart, John Kerry, former U.S. Secretary of State and former U.S. Senator, Stephen A. Schwartzman, founder of Blackstone Group, Austin Goolsby, chairman of Barack Obama's Council on Economic Advisors, Harold Stanley, co-founder of Morgan Stanley, and Frederick W. Smith, founder of FedEx, are all reported to be members. Wow. Okay, so it, so after they're out of school... Okay. Maybe people can know if mm-hmm. they were in it, but unlike the Seven Society, that yeah. you know, you never know anything. No, you never. That's know. really cool. I know, isn't that cool? So, um, this is interesting. In the 2004 U.S. presidential election, both the Democratic and Republican nominees were alumni. George W. Bush wrote in his autobiography, in my senior year, I joined Skull and Bones, a secret society, so secret I can't say anything more. <laughs> Um, when asked what it meant that he and Bush were both bonesmen, former presidential candidate John Kerry said, not much, because it's a secret. <laughs> a man of many words, yeah, yep, that John just, Kerry. Oh, God bless him. Okay, the number 322 appears in Skull and Bones insignia and is widely reported to be significant as the year of Greek orator Demosthenes' death. A letter between early society members in Yale's archives suggests that 322 is a reference to the year 322 BC and that members measure dates from this year instead of from the common era. Oh, that's very confusing. (laughs) I know. In 322 BC, the Lamian War ended with the death of Demosthenes and Athenians were made to dissolve their government and establish a plutocratic system in its stead whereby only those possessing 2,000 drachmas or more could remain citizens. Oh, shit. So I don't have that many drachmas. Yeah. So I, what I get from this, the implication from this, is that only rich boys get to join mm-hmm. Skull and Bones. Mm-hmm. Um, so documents in the tomb have reportedly been found dated to Anno Demestheny. Uh, one legend is that the numbers in the society's emblem, 322, represent founded in 32 Second Corps, referring to a first corps in an unknown German university. Uh, members measure time of day according to a clock five minutes out of sync with normal time. The latter is called barbarian time. I was like, Ugh, Ugh. come on. Could we get more like jack off white <laughs> academic boys like being like, like, <laughs> oh, Tristan, are you on barbarian time yet? Anyway, sorry. I'm like, <laughs> I re- I'm just sick of yellies. Uh, members, <laughs> the whiff and poofs, son uh, of a bitch. So much. So much. I have so much built up anger. Okay. Members are assigned nicknames. For example, Long Devil is the tallest member and Boaz is a varsity football captain or Sheriff, Prince of Future. Now, it said in my research, or Sheriff, Prince of Future. No citation <laughs> no. there. Nothing. I Googled it. Nothing. What does this mean, Prince of Future? No one mm. knows. It just showed up. Maybe this is a warning from Skull and Bones to me. And now I'm repeating it how on this podcast. Le- how many letters are in I there? I know. What time is it? What time is it? Is it five minutes off? Oh, my God. Um, many of the chosen names are drawn from literature. For example, Hamlet, Uncle Remus, uh, religion, and myth. Ugh. The banker Louis Lapham passed on his nickname Sancho Panza to the political advisor Tex McCrary. Averill Harriman was Thor. Henry Luce was Ball. 
McGeorge Bundy was Odin, and George H.W. Bush was Magog, who was one of the mm. sons of um, Isaac. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. It's a biblical term. Hmm. I don't know if Magog was like special or if they were yeah. like, <laughs> that's a funny word. Let's call him Magog. <laughs> Um, Skull and Bones has a reputation for stealing keepsakes from other Yale societies or from campus buildings. Society members reportedly call the practice crooking and strive to outdo each other's crooks. The society has been accused of possessing the stolen skulls of Martin Van Buren, Geronimo, and Pancho Villa. I've heard that they had Geronimo's skull. Well, you mentioned the Pancho Villa thing, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) Um, this group Skull and Bones is featured in conspiracy theories, which claim that the society plays a role in global conspiracy for world control or that Skull and Bones itself controls the Central Intelligence Agency. So from what I'm getting mm-hmm. about this, from the research that I've done, is that Skull and Bones is a lot of little rich boys who have their own island <laughs> and and get a lot of like political and social clout from right. being you have in this a lot group. of networking yep. uh because you're a bonesman and this person your dad wants you to go work for as a bonesman exactly let you go work for them exactly so i i full disclosure none of these secret societies are dangerous in any way <laughs> the continuum of danger the continuum TM. of it actually should be called the continuum of perceived danger oh okay. yes amendment yeah, because the Illuminati, here we go. Oh, boy. Get ready for this. So, <clears throat> the Illuminati. Adam Weishaupt was a professor of canon law and practical philosophy at the University of Ingolstadt in Bavaria, Germany. He was the only non-clerical professor at an institution run by Jesuits, whose order had been dissolved in 1773. The Jesuits of Ingolstadt, however, still retained the purse strings and some power at the university, which they continued to regard as their own. Constant attempts were made to frustrate and discredit non-clerical staff, especially when course material contained anything they regarded as liberal or Protestant. Weishaupt became deeply anti-clerical, resolving to spread the ideals of the Enlightenment or the Aufklärung through some sort of secret society of like-minded individuals. Your German is so much better than your French. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. It's because I looked up the... um, (laughs) pronunciations and wrote them (laughs) phonetically um okay so finding freemasonry to be expensive and not open to his ideas Mm. uh can i tell you something weishaupt had a lot of ideas oh like uh capital letters yeah a lot of ideas ideas yep um he founded his own society which was to have a gradle system based on freemasonry but his own agenda Mm. his original name for the new order was bunte perfectibilism or covenant of perfectibility He called them perfectibilists, later changing it because it sounded too weird. Uh, On May 1st, 1776, Weishaupt and four students formed the perfectibilists, taking the Owl of Minerva as their symbol. Uh, The members were to use uh, aliases within the society. Weishaupt became Spartacus. Law students Meissenhausen, Bauhoff, Mers, and Sutor became respectively Ajax, Agathon, Tiberius, and Erasmus Rotterdamus. Uh, Weishaupt later expelled Sutor for indolence. It was not until April 1778 that the order became the Illuminatenorden, or Order of Illuminati, after Weishaupt had seriously con- contemplated the B Order. <laughs> a which little is less. A little less. Uh, a little more whimsical. Yes, not as imposing. Yeah. yeah. So by the end of summer 1778, the order had 27 members in five commands Munich, Ingolstadt, Ravensburg, Freisingen, and 
Eichstatt. So the Illuminati began in Germany. The Illuminati began in Bavaria, Germany, okay. yes. So during this early period, the order had three grades of novice, Minerval, and illuminated Minerval, of which only the Minerval grade involved a complicated ceremony. In this, the candidate was given secret signs and a password, much like Freemasonry. A system of mutual espionage kept Weishaupt informed of the activities and character of all of his members, his favorites becoming members of the ruling council or Arapagus. Some novices were permitted to recruit, becoming insinuants. Christians of good character were actively sought, with Jews and pagans specifically excluded, along with women, monks, and members of other secret societies. Oh, he didn't want the monks to get in? Yeah, because he really hated the Jesuits. Uh, Favored candidates were rich, docile, willing to learn, and aged 18 to 30. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, here comes Adolf Kaniga. All right? So, Adolf Kaniga, Kaniga. He is a writer and a Freemason. He's young. He was super interested in getting to know all the ins and outs of secret societies. And he had also had a lot of ideas mm. about how things could improve. He's one of those guys. Oh. <laughs> um, you know what you should have done. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I got a lot of great ideas. I know I just, I actually showed up here today and I'm, I was late, but I have a lot of ideas. Uh, apparently the Masons were like, thank you, but no. So he turned to the relatively new ish of the Illuminati. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Weishaupt really liked his style and enthusiasm. He was like, all right, here we go. Okay, all and right. pr- he promised to teach him all the secret stuff about the higher degrees of the order and the most serene superiors, which seemed to be a kind of group of shadowy, powerful figures that Weishaupt purported to serve. But only if Kaniga would do some super recruiting within the Masons and get a bunch of rich guys to join the <laughs> Illuminati. Okay. So Kaniga became best ever recruiter. Okay. And he and Weishaupt's inability to really flesh out what the higher degrees were involved with was starting to become embarrassing. So Kaniga's like, guys, you're going to love this. I'm part of this Illuminati and they got such cool stuff. And the Masons were like, cool, what's it about? And he was like, it's so cool, it's though. Secret. It's secret. It's secret. Um, and he and Kaniga's like, so what's this stuff about? And Weishaupt's like, don't you worry. Just it's so good. Wait and see. You're going to love it. Uh, so instead of even lying, really, uh, Weishaupt gave Kaniga an extra task. Provided with material by Weishaupt, Kaniga now produced pamphlets outlining the activities of the outlawed Jesuits, purporting to show how they continued to thrive and recruit, especially in Bavaria. So Weishaupt mm. really had a thing with the Jesuits. Agenda. Yeah. So meanwhile, Kaniga's abil- inability to give his recruits any satisfactory response to questions regarding the higher grades was making him the laughing stock of the new Illuminati. And he wrote to Weishaupt to that effect. He was like, uh, you got to tell me some stuff, man, because yeah. people are starting to get like upset about it. So in January 1781, faced with the prospect of losing Kaniga and his Masonic recruits, Weishaupt finally confessed that his superiors and the supposed antiquity of the order were fictions and the higher ah. degrees had yet to be written. He was the he was the man behind the curtain. He was the man behind the curtain. And yet he didn't even flesh out any of his ideas. He was just like, I'll figure it out. So surprisingly, Kaniga took this rather well, probably because he saw the opportunity to finally get his ideas to come to fruition. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he offered to help Weishaupt write the higher degrees. So on January 20th, 1782, Kaniga tabulated his new system of grades for the order. These were arranged in three classes. So class one was known as the nursery, which consisted, I know, which consists of baby men. Of babies, big baby men. Uh, it consisted of the novitiate, the Minerval, and the Illuminatus Minor. Okay. Class two was the Masonic grades. So it was the, the three blue lodge grades of apprentice, companion, and master. Mm-hmm. Um, and then class three was known as the mysteries. 
Yeah. The lesser mysteries were the grades of priest and prince, followed by the greater mysteries in the grades of mage and king. It is unlikely that the rituals for the greater mysteries were even written. Because <laughs> no one got there. Uh, essentially, throughout the majority of the run of the Illuminati, members were divided on whether or not they were a religious or a mystical organization, okay. whether or not they would continue to be anti-Jesuit, or whether or not Weishaupt was a huge pain in the ass. <laughs> um, pairing with ongoing suspicion of the group from the ruling class of Bavaria, and you got yourself a powder keg. Um, also, members were super indiscreet, and basically all of Western Europe knew about their dumb rituals and They're secrets like, anyway. Hey, I'm in this cool group. Guys, I can't tell you anything, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, the amount of beer in Bavaria. Yeah. There was no way these rich, drunk guys were weren't keeping in a their bar. mouths shut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were like, all right, well, I'm going to show you the secret. Okay, I'll tell handshake. you like two things. Okay. But, but you I can't tell, you anything tell else. anyone. Don't right? tell anybody Dude, else. I swear to God, if you tell anyone, I'm going to put you in the throat. Okay. So the Illuminati stumbled around for about nine years until finally in 1785. Carl Theodore, uh, Duke of Bavaria, banned all secret societies, including the Illuminati. And a government edict dated March 2nd, 1785, seems to have been the death blow to the Illum- Illuminati in Bavaria. Okay. Uh, Weishaupt had fled, and documents and internal correspondence seized in 1786 and 1787 were subsequently published by the government in 1787. So in order to get rid of the secret mm-hmm. societies, they just like spread all of their stuff around. <laughs> they were like, you want this to be secret? Here yeah. we go. Every man, woman, and child who can read like three letters strung together gets to read about your shit. I mean, shit. that's pretty, that's kind of like how you um, diffuse like a blackmail situation. Yeah, exactly. You're just like, I'm just going to well, tell everybody, whatever. Yeah. Um, so why, why was this nine year like German brain club. fart of an yeah. idea... <laughs> Why do we think they're controlling? Why do we think that they're controlling the the world? Well, not we, you and I. Not us. Not us. Misinformation does not support the conspiracy theory that the Illuminati are running the world. Um, So here's why. And this is kind of interesting. So in the late 18th century, so not long after the Mm -hmm. Illuminati were gone... Reactionary conspiracy theorists such as Scottish physicist John Robeson and French Jesuit priest Augustin Berule began speculating that the Illuminati had survived their suppression and become the masterminds behind the French Revolution and the Reign of Terror. Hmm. The Illuminati were accused of being subversives who were attempting to secretly orchestrate a revolutionary wave in Europe and the rest of the world in order to spread the most radical ideas and movements of the Enlightenment, anti-clericalism, anti-monarchism, and anti-patriarchalism. Basically, they were against the patriarchy. Um, And to create a world noocracy, which is an aristocracy of the wise. Yeah. And a cult of reason. So uh, during the 19th century, fear of an Illuminati conspiracy was a real concern of the European ruling classes. And their oppressive reactions to this unfounded fear provoked in 1848 the very revolutions they sought to prevent. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this is interesting. Isn't it interesting? So it wasn't interesting up until now. (laughs) You're like, I was only half listening up until now. But now I have a TV screen on behind you. I'm watching a hockey game. Wait a second. There's a football game on. (laughs) How could you? No, that the like they came up with this conspiracy theory. Yeah, and it kind of matches what was happening. It kind of matches what was happening, Mm -hmm. and they needed a scapegoat, and they needed a reason Mm -hmm. to be pissed off. So interesting. Yeah, it's pretty good. So that 
during the interwar period of the 20th century, so this continued, fascist propagandists such as British revisionist historian Nesta Helen Webster and the American socialite Edith Starr Miller not only popularized the myth of the Illuminati conspiracy, but claimed that it was a subversive secret society which served the Jewish elites that supposedly propped up both finance capitalism and Soviet communism in order to divide and rule the world, which is ironic because Weishaupt was very not into having yeah. Jews in the Illuminati. This interesting. I think this ties in with like those, um, those like letters of Zion that yes, hoax. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's definitely like well within like the new world order conspiracy theory where mm-hmm. it's like the Jews are controlling everything. Um, also American evangelist, Gerald Burton Winrod and other conspiracy theorists within the fundamentalist Christian movement in the United States, which emerged in the 19 teens as a backlash against the principles of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Uh, secular humanism, modernism, and liberalism became the main channel of dissemination of Illuminati conspiracy theories in the U.S. So Illuminati conspiracy theories in the U.S. actually grew out of the evangelical movement of the teen years. Yeah. So right-wing populists, such as members of the John Birch Society, uh, subsequently began speculating that some collegiate fraternities, such as Skull and Bones, gentlemen's clubs, such as the Bohemian Club, and think tanks of the American upper class are front organizations of the Illuminati, which they accuse of plotting to create a new world order through a one world government. But as we learned from Adam Weishaupt, he couldn't even get nine guys to agree <laughs> on like, do we like the Jesuits or not? And he was like, absolutely not. And they were like, Should well, we call I don't know, a man. Prince? Should we call him a prince? Or a mage? Mm-hmm. Am I a mage? Adam, Adam, am I a mage? <laughs> am I a mage now? Do you feel like a mage? Mm, do you think... You've achieved mage status. <laughs> yeah, like, hmm. I I don't think there's enough organization. There's enough organized minds in this world to have something as complex and long-running as the Illuminati worldwide. Yeah. So in, like, present day, these conspiracy theorists think that, what, it's like the pyramid with the eye? Mm-hmm. Is that what they think that the symbol is? And I think it was actually an original symbol, of the Illuminati, mm. um, because it's supposed to be the eye of God. Okay. Um, but that's that's not just, that's, that wasn't invented by the Illuminati. Right. That's an ancient symbol across right. many but Like it's on the years. back of our money, man. Yeah, because there's a lot of like, there's a lot of shit in the U.S. government. There's Greek symbolism and yeah. Latin symbolism and biblical symbolism and all sorts of stuff. Like, you And know. why do people think Beyonce's in the Illuminati? Because she's rich and powerful. Uh. And people don't like and to see a beautiful, rich black on woman her, <laughs> on her talent and business acumen. Alone. Yeah, she couldn't have possibly. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, she's definitely just a member of the Illuminati. Yeah. So, I well, mean, maybe I'll do an episode on lizard people. Who knows? Maybe I'll just like dive right into this tinfoil hat craziness. Um, but that is my alien abductions. <laughs> yeah. This will just turn into one of those podcasts. <laughs> right here wow lauren yeah thank you very much oh you're so welcome that. so so cool so my quiz i was very proud right. of this i thought of this at work and i like laughed to myself i was like you're so smart lauren <laughs> this is called victoria's secret a quiz on lingerie and queen victoria question number one let's get this out of the way first within 10 years how long was queen victoria on the throne Question number two. We all remember how the Wonder Bra became the new hotness during the 90s, but it's been around a lot longer than that. Was it first manufactured in the 1940s or the 1960s? Question number three. 
Queen Vicky was totally in love with her dear Albert, but after he died prematurely, she had a Scottish manservant who was her closest confidant and friend, but she was probably not that interested in his body. What was his name? Question number four. In the 1920s, women's undergarments went through a huge change, with this style of underwear becoming the most popular for all women, not just dancers. Name this panty. Question number five. In the Victorian era in Britain, as well as the U.S., spiritualism was incredibly popular, and none were more popular in New York State than these rapping and tapping vixenish sisters. Name them. Question number six. This cutesy style of lingerie is basically a short, frilly dress that is loose around the hips and often is adorned with lace and ribbon. What is this lingerie called? Question number seven. True or false? Queen Victoria had nine children, but only five of them survived. Question number eight. Either way, it's uncomfortable. The item of shapewear that combines a bra and a corset, is it called a merry widow or a French maid? Question number nine. Queen Vicky was the last British monarch in which royal house? I'll give you a hint. It's German, and it's also the name of an insurance agency and an American college in Indiana. And finally, question number 10. I hope you've been paying attention. What item of Queen Victoria's was up for auction in Edinburgh a few years ago and sold for nearly $15,000 US? I'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be right back with answers. Taking this crazy chance to be all alone. We both know that we should not be together. Cause if we found out, it could mess up both our happy homes. I hate to think about us all meeting up together. As soon as I look at you, it will show my face. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, no, I broke my little archival paperclip. Okay. No such thing. (laughs) It's plastic. It's inert plastic. All right. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Question number one. Let's get this out of the way first. Within 10 years, how long was Queen Victoria on the throne? 65 years. Oh, you're so good. It was 63 years. Yeah. Yeah. Her, her Yeah. Her reign was longer than any of her predecessors, surpassed only by Queen Liz at 66 years and counting. She died in 1901. She did die in 1901. Good job. Get it, get it. Question number two. We all remember how the Wonder Bra became the new hotness during the 90s, but it's been around a lot longer than that. Was it first manufactured in the 1940s or the 1960s? 1960s. Very good. It was patented in the 1940s, but it wasn't manufactured until 1961 by the Canadian company, Canadian Lady. Canadian lady. Canadian lady. lady. Wonder bra. Supporting your titties with some wire and some cotton. Oh, man. That was so good. That just flowed out of me. That just flowed out of me. Uh, I am in the wrong field. Mm -hmm. Ooh. 
Okay. You should be a jingle writer. I know, a jingle writer. Question number three. Vicky was totally in love with her dear Albert, but after he died prematurely, she had a Scottish manservant who was her closest confidant and friend, but she was probably not that interested in his body. What was his name? I don't know. I'm going to say his first name, since he was Scottish, was Robert. Ooh, that's very close. His name was John. John Brown. John Brown. I was trying to go with John Brown's body. I didn't really Uh, have. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, He uh, and her were... uh, best friends um no one knows if they had like a romance or whatever mm-hmm. but um his his letters were like in her like she kept them until she died like uh, many many years later yeah um so she was very tight with john brown question number four in the 1920s women's undergarments went through a huge change with this style of underwear becoming the most popular for all women not just dancers name this panty well, the twenties is when you you get your bloomers. Not necessarily. And the only thing I can come up with dancers is can can. You're not that know. far off. Um, they're called tap pants. Tap pants. They're like okay. silky shorts, and they're super comfy. Um, they are perfect to wear under a slim flapper dress. They're still like people still have them, okay. but they're usually like sleepwear. They're, you know, like they have like that tulip on the side. Okay. So it's like very loose and comfy. Um, bloomers were actually late 19th century. And they okay. were like um, puffy pants that women who rode bikes, the velocipedes, mm-hmm. would wear. And it was like so radical that only a handful of women okay. wore them. And when I was at the RMSC, um, costume historians would call us, not all the time because it's not like we got a lot of calls from costume historians, but a lot of costume historians wanted to know where they could find some bloomers, like uh, original bloomers. And no one has, no them, one has them because no one had them. Like uh. there was only a handful <laughs> of very daring women who would wear bloomers. Wow. And they lived in major cities and they were rich and didn't, you know, if they didn't give a shit what society thought, it didn't matter, yeah. you know? So there aren't any bloomers in any collections that I know of. I mean, maybe the costume collection the in um, at the Met. Yeah. But... I'm, even then, I have no idea because bloomers are incredibly hard to find. That's cool. I yeah. was at a donor event and they were asking us like, well, you know, what's the like, what's the earliest that you'll collect? Like, do you have like a, a limit on what you'll collect? And I was like, no, like we collect, you know, everything yeah. even back. And they're like, well, why don't you have any ancient toys in your collection? Well, if you have an ancient, if you have a toy from ancient Rome in your house and you would like to donate yeah. it to the museum, we'd be happy. We'd to be take happy that. to take that. <laughs> They don't just manifest out of nowhere. Like a lot of places that have ancient toys are keeping them. Like they're not donating them. Exactly. Yeah. Uh Not a lot of ancient toys just rattling around out there. Yeah. That's the thing about museum work, guys. There is a finite number of old shit that people care to learn about. It's true. You heard it here first. Okay. Question number five. In the Victorian era in Britain, as well as the U.S., spiritualism was incredibly popular, and none were more popular in New York State than these rapping and tapping vixenish sisters. Name them. They're the Fox Sisters. They were the Fox Sisters. They lived in Arcadia, which is in Wayne County. It's like right, it's like down the road. Mm. Um, apparently, uh, U of R has a lot of uh, stuff from the Fox Sisters. Yeah. And later in their lives, they uh, admitted that they were just totally just, faking everything. They were just faking everything. Mm-hmm. There's also Lilydale, which is south of Buffalo, mm-hmm. which is a spiritualist community that is still a spiritualist community in that there's a lot of, you know, 
they're all about like tarot card reading and palm reading and like fortune tellers and like mediums and spirit contactors and things like that. So that's like a popular like day trip for people around here to like go to Lilydale for the day and like, you know, get your cards read, get your cards read. And also they have a, I guess they have a really good historical society. That's really interesting and a lot of historic homes. So head out to Lilydale. It's an hour South of Buffalo. Um, Okay, question number six. This cutesy style of lingerie is basically a short frilly dress that is loose around the hips and as often is adorned with lace and ribbon. What is this lingerie called? Is that a teddy? Oh, so close. It's a baby doll. Baby doll. It was very popular in the 60s, um, but it is still a thing. And we will not get into the implications of what <laughs> baby doll lingerie means. Okay. Okay. Just, we're going to let it go. Question number seven, true or false? Queen Victoria had nine children, but only five of them survived. Uh, I'm going to say true. It's false. Mm -hmm. They all grew to adulthood and married into royal and noble families across Europe. They all had hemophilia. They all had hemophilia. (laughs) Uh, That's why Queen Vicky was known as the grandmother of Europe. Mm. Um, Question number eight, either way, it's uncomfortable. The item of shapewear that combines a bra and a corset, is it called a merry widow or a French maid? Say Merry Widow. It is a Merry Widow. It's named after the operetta. Ah, uh, okay. Actress Lana Turner is reported to have said, I am telling you, the Merry Widow was designed by a man. A woman would never do that to another woman. <laughs> Which is, I've seen pictures of it. It's, ugh, it's bad. A lot of boning. Oh, and like yeah. a panel around the stomach. Oh, it just looks so uncomfortable. Okay. Question number nine. Queen Vicky was the last British monarch in which royal house? I'll give you a hint. It's German and is also the name of an insurance agency and an American college in Indiana. I blanked all of the words in my head when, when like I was like going through the houses mm-hmm. and then you mentioned the other two clues and I lost everything in my head. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, you said, so tell me the second part again. Uh, it's German uh-huh. and is also the name of an insurance agency and an American college in Indiana. What? State Farm. No. <laughs> yes. Uh, Victoria, Victoria of the State House Farm. of State Farm. It's the House of Hanover. Hanover. Uh, the insurance agency is known as the Hanover Group, and the college is Hanover College. In I'm going to call her yeah. Vicky State Farm. Vicky State Farm. That's how she checked in the <laughs> hotels. Yeah, that's that's our, you know, when we become super famous, uh-huh. we'll be Robin and Beth State Farm. <laughs> No, Vicky and Albert State Farm. I like that better. <laughs> okay, question number 10. I hope you've been paying attention. What item of Queen Victoria's was up for auction in Edinburgh a few years ago and sold for nearly $15,000 US? It was like underpants. Yeah, it was her underwear. Yeah. Uh, they were made from yards of white cream fabric. And yards. the operative word is yards. yards. <laughs> she was as wide as she was tall. I mean, Vicky was, she was, can we say, a zaftig woman. Which, you know what? Bless. Yeah. Bless up. She can do whatever she wanted. Rich as hell. You can afford sugar. Mm-hmm. Do it. Eat, mm-hmm. eat chocolate. Go to town. Sit in your theater for Ooh. four months just eating chocolate if you want. <laughs> Who you got to be skinny for? Nobody. Man. John Brown loves yeah, all you of don't you. Care. He loves all those roles. Come on. Okay. Um, the way <laughs> Her underwear also had her initials VR, which is Victoria Regina, embroidered in them. So... That's my quiz. Did, on, who kept them? How did they get? I don't know. I think it was a private collector. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. So that is my quiz on Very underwear. Interesting. Thank and you, Lauren. Yeah, of course. Um, well, if you have any listener submitted trivia mm-hmm. for us, or you want to tell us your secret rituals from your 
secret society, society that either you made secret up or society. secret society. Um, you can email us at misinfopod at gmail.com. Tweet at us at misinfopod. You can find us on Facebook, Misinformation, a trivia podcast. Um, and we have a website, www.misinfopod.com. <laughs> and if you want to listen to more of this, this whole thing going back and forth. Uh, some you, of you do. Some, some of you, you like do. Us. Hey, I know you do because you tweet at me. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or use our RSS feed to access any podcast app that you prefer. You can also stream us on our website, the aforementioned triplededub.missinfopod.com. And thank you for listening. <laughs> we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.